Most of my Christian life, I've been praying for God to open up the 1040 window. Not only has he opened it up today, he's given us the largest people group in that 1040 window. You could never witness, as we witnessed today in Lebanon, inside Syria or Iraq, and now they're knocking at our doors. Hello and welcome to First Person and today's conversation with Tom Adama, a veteran of Christian ministry and now with Heart for Lebanon. I'm Wayne Shepherd, looking forward to having you with us for today's program. Before we get started, though, let me point you to our website for additional information and resources. It's firstpersoninterview.com. Take the time to visit the site and learn more about this week's guest as well as past interviews. And if you'd like to download any of those past interviews for listening anytime, use our smartphone app. It's free on both the Apple and Android platforms and makes listening to First Person easy anytime it's convenient for you. Search First Person Interview in your app store. You'll also find us online at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Several weeks ago, we talked with Camille Melke of Heart for Lebanon about their ministry to Syrian refugees. Well, also with Camille in the studio that day was my friend Tom Adama, who has served Christ for many years in leadership roles. So I asked Tom if he would also sit down and talk for just a few minutes about his experiences, beginning with how he came to trust Christ early in his life. Well, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, and I say New Jersey is a great state to be from. <laughs> and I'm from New Jersey, a little town called Wyckoff. Oh, uh, yeah, great sure. history. Sure. Larry McGill lived on one side of us and George Sweeting on the other oh, side boy. of us. Yeah, and I, I know those two up, names. You know those two names. Yeah. So they were deeply involved in my life. And as a young man, my dad owned his own business. And on Saturdays, usually, we'd clean the George Sweeting tent with brooms <laughs> and uh, and lots of stories I could go down the George road. George Sweeting, wonderful. the evangelist? The evangelist. Okay. back then. All right. Uh, lots of great stories. Um, but but it was later on in life after I was married, my wife and I felt called into full-time ministry. A little bit of an interesting story in that in order to volunteer, as we were doing for Word of Life Fellowship in Jack Wurtson in the club ministry, we had to fill out an application to be a volunteer. And I said to my wife as I was filling out this application, I hate to see a full-time application. They're asking doctrinal questions. I mean, it was page after page after page. <laughs> Sent it in, got to Word of Life Island. Paul Bubar on a Wednesday afternoon says, Tom, I need to see you. We'd like to hire you full-time to come on staff as a full-time club man for us and cover the state of New Jersey, New York City, Long Island, Eastern Pennsylvania. And I said, Paul, you're a wonderful friend, great ministry, love it to death, but I have no interest. I'm working for my dad in the business world. And he said, but you filled out a full-time application. (laughs) And I said, no, I didn't. Your secretary sent me the wrong application. (laughs) And Paul said, God doesn't make those kind mistakes. Uh-huh. Long story short, that got us into ministry. Yeah. One of the hardest things so I had to do— how long did you work for Word of Life? <laughs> uh, probably, I would say, 11, 12 years. Okay. Um, ended up in clubs, then moved to Scroon Lake and did their development work, and then ended up uh, for one year managing um, and directing Word of Life Florida in Hudson, Florida. Okay. Of course, Word of Life began in New York City exactly. with Jack Wurtson, so you were on historic ground there, weren't I you? I was very historic ground. In fact, in the 50s, my mom had the gift of hospitality— and a number of people from the Billy Graham crusade would stay at our house, a lot of the special guests. And uh, when Jack Wurtson would do his Saturday night monthly meetings at Brookdale Baptist Church with Charlie Anderson, those special guests would come stay with us. Many times we had the Word of Life brass stay with us and all this kind of great things. And so it's great heritage. Well, little did I know, though, 
when I was directing Word of Life Florida, that uh, John Courts from the Billy Graham Association would ask me to come and help develop the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, okay, and that's where we met uh, during we your met. tenure there at the Cove. Right. Okay. And actually, even before that, in 1974, just as a personal mission project, I started a radio program called Sunday, Sunday Sounds on WBUX in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And um, recently, um, Cliff Barrows went home to be with the Lord, yes. and we were sitting there at his memorial service. And I was reflecting the first time I met Cliff and the team, and Dr. Sweeting was so gracious to us at the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. at the NRB convention. It was my first NRB um, <laughs> back there in those early – in 1975. National Religious Broadcasters. Yes. And so it was, it was, it's been a great life um, at the Cove. Um, after I, I'm a builder, developer, creator. I'm not a good maintenance type person, if I can put it that way. I get bored quick. And I, the Cove was up and running. We were doing our doing great ministry, still is today. But I was kind of like to the point, okay, God, what is um, what what do you want me to fix? What do you want me to do? And I'm praying that through, and a number of things opened up for me to take over the WMIT, the Billy Graham radio stations. Mm-hmm. And, "Quote unquote, Mr. Graham," he said. "Tom, can you fix them?" Another for us? historic ministry. Yes, and uh, I said to Mr. Graham, "I said, in all due respect, eating at his favorite restaurant in Denny's lunch." I said, "Mr. Graham, in all due respect, is there anything that I should stay away from? That you know that you and Ruth started these stations. I'm sure there's something that's special to your heart." And he said, "Absolutely nothing, Tom. Just do the best you can, and I think you can turn them around if anybody can, and make them into what we had to challenge them to be." And um, <laughs> I had the nerve to say, but Mr. Graham, there has to be something, not once, not twice, but three times. <laughs> and he's, all three times he said, there's absolutely nothing. At the end of the third time, he said, but there's one thing. <laughs> you finally he said, got if to you it. don't raise the money, you can't spend it. <laughs> That's the only thing he said. He was a great guy to work for. Yeah. And I believe that uh, one of the purposes of Christian radio, even to this day, is to sh- let the Christian community know what God's doing around the world. That's so right. we did a lot of mission projects. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. Um, we set up Radio Amahaba, Radio Love with Reach Beyond. That's over, covers all of North Africa and the Middle East in 24-7 Arabic. I'm still a sister station of WMIT today. And that launched me into having an opportunity to go with Dr. John C. Maxwell and Equip to teach leadership at Kasser Debaro Church in Cairo and in Beirut, Lebanon. And in Lebanon, we brought in pastors from Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon, 282 of them, that stayed with me for 12 years. And um, the only reason I said yes to that volunteer assignment was because how cool would it be to meet a pastor who has somebody in his church who came to know Jesus Christ through Radio Amahaba. Mm-hmm. And as I look back at it, my journey now at 68 years of age, I say there's a thread through all of this yeah. that I would have never planned. Isn't that thrilling to look back on that? Yeah, because uh, this isn't a career path. People, Young people ask me all the time, is this your career path? And yeah. it's absolutely not. I say this often, but uh, we don't get the life we deserve. We get the life that God designs. Exactly. And, That's uh, a great statement. Sounds like he designed that for you. And, and through that, you know, eventually when the radio stations became what God wanted them to be, John Maxwell asked me if I'd join Equip, his nonprofit, biblically-based leadership arm, and helped get John's material in every country of the world, uh, which was a great opportunity to be in 188 countries at that time with his curriculum. It got me to travel the world three months, sure. three weeks out of every month. Hmm. And and through all of that, in 2006, Camille Melke, who was our country coordinator in Beirut, 
was at our house in Asheville, North Carolina. And the news came on between the conflict of Hezbollah and Israel. And I said, okay, when are we going to stop teaching leadership and start helping your people? Hmm. Here we go again, another war, another conflict, whatever you want to call it. But your people are innocently caught between the gunfire. And he said, I want to help my people. And I said, well, if you want to go help your people, I'll help your people and I'll help you um, do whatever I can do. And back then, I was still working a full-time job and uh, still am today. But um, we started Heart for Lebanon and kind of did all the legal stuff, became legal on both sides of the pond, kind of built a system, structures, policies, procedures, big picture stuff. And listeners may recall that Camille Melke, our CEO of Heart for Lebanon, was on this program recently with me. Mm-hmm. And that's in the archive. They can go back and listen to that conversation. That's quite a career path. And we'll talk more about Heart for Lebanon in a few minutes because I know that's where your heart is right now. But let me take you back, if I may, to some point in the past there. You mentioned working with Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows. This is the first time I've had an opportunity to sit down and talk with anyone after Cliff has been promoted to heaven. And I just wanted to dwell there for a moment and just say how grateful I am for, for Cliff Barrows. What a man of God. What, a, what an unselfish servant he was. I, when he passed, the first thing I did is I went to my file and I pulled out a letter that he wrote to me a few years ago. And it was such a kind, tender-hearted letter of, of, of just a letter of thanks for something we'd worked on together. And I was reminded what, what character this man had. Oh, he, he was the ultimate, kindest, gentlest image, reality, person of Christianity you'd ever want to get. I don't know how to put enough yeah, words. He in was there. real. He was the real deal. When you saw, when I saw Cliff Barrows, and I had many opportunities because he served on the board at the radio station. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? Comes <laughs> Cliff Barrows is your boss. <laughs> well, I'm a little old farm boy. I walk into my first board meeting, Mr. Graham's chair, <laughs> Bev Shea, Cliff Barrows, Franklin Graham, Melvin Graham, another cousin Graham, and I'm sitting there saying, what in the world am I doing here? T.W. Wilson come in there? T.W. Wilson was there. there. Um, Don Bailey was there. I mean, you know, the whole gang. And I'm sitting there saying, excuse me, I came up to the wrong meeting. But Cliff always had a word of encouragement. Uh, We went through some hard choices we had to make for music and all those things. Very supportive, very loving. Call me on the phone. Just give me a word of encouragement. Um, he was just a gracious, gracious, gracious Christian yeah, person. I, I would be surprised to hear anything different. And I had a lot of contact with Bev Shea through the years because of our common uh, experience at WMBI in Chicago. Sure, yeah. You know, he many years before I was there. But he would always ask me about the music. You know, the music was always <laughs> the most controversial thing on the radio station. And he would always ask me, you know, what's happening musically at WMBI? Yeah, you know? I can tell you once. Well, we had to change the format at WMIT. Bev... And the whole board unanimously voted to change the music because this is a big deal. Sure. It's Mr. Graham's radio station. Yeah. And they, all, and they all thought it was a great thing. Next morning, Bev shows up in my office and sits in the chair and he stares at me for a minute or two. <laughs> and he says, I know I voted for this because I think it's the right thing to do. But can I get one hour of hymns a week, <laughs> please? And I said, Bev, if you tell me what hour you're listening – I'll be more than happy to give you an hour of hymns. And we had this running joke up until about four days before he passed away, when he changed his address to heaven. And he'd say, I haven't listened to my one hour of hymns yet, Tom. And I'll say, I haven't found out when that hour is. You'll be listening, Bev. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but very supportive, gentle giant. 
I hadn't intended to talk about this, but let me tell you my story with Bev Shea and Billy Graham. Working at WMBI, Dr. Graham came through for an interview when he wrote the book Just As I Am, and we sat down and we had an hour-long conversation, which is a highlight of my interviewing career. But as he walked into the studios, he said, this is where I came to meet Bev Shea. He had heard Bev sing on the radio and wanted him to come sing on his radio program, Songs in the Night. So when Bev came through a few years later, I asked him to tell me the story, and Bev pointed to my office in the corner, and he said, that was my office. And he said, my name used to be on the door the way your name is on the door now, on the glass. Oh, cool. And I said to Bev, I said, well, put your name back. And I gave him a Sharpie, and he signed my door, the window of my door, George Bev Shea, staff announcer, 1939 to 1944. How cool. And I still have that piece of glass today. I treasure that piece of glass. I would. Very much. Great memories. And But those memories gave me and gave you and many, many, many other people the foundation we needed to have the confidence that we could do what God's called us to do today. Our guest is Tom Adama of Heart for Lebanon. We'll talk about that ministry and much more coming up next. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose. Whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home, we serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. My guest is Tom Adama. Tom is presently Chief Operating Officer for Heart for Lebanon. Is that correct, Chief Operating Officer? Yeah, COO? Chief Operating Officer slash co-founder. Okay, co-founder <laughs> of Heart for Lebanon. We heard just a bit about how uh, Camille Melky and, and you came together and began this ministry in Lebanon. I want to focus on that for the next few minutes here. Camille has been with us on the program in the past, but let's go even a little deeper on what Heart for Lebanon is all about. What drew your heart? Uh, to this particular country and this particular ministry? Well, as I mentioned, I started going to Lebanon in 2001, twice a year to teach biblical leadership to pastors in that region of the world, in Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon. And we had just started to divide that training up so they would we would do it in Iraq. And I started going to Iraq during the Iraq war and into Jordan. We never really got Syria off on its own. And as I met these pastors, they were teaching me more than I was teaching them, Wayne, mm-hmm. in all honesty. It they happens, were teaching me how to stick through hard times. I've never been through a war like they've been through war. I mean, I grew up in the Vietnam era, but nothing like these guys. I mean, Camille Melky and Hoda, had their, they were bombed on their wedding day and had a, you know escaped to Cyprus. Oh. And when you hear their stories and they can point to the building what still has the bullet wounds in the side of it from those conflicts. There's something that drew me into it. The very hospitable people, the country of Lebanon's a first world country with a third world problem. Mm-hmm. The food is exactly, why does it surprise us when the Bible becomes accurate, is absolutely unbelievably good. And I just felt like I was really helping them as much as they were helping me. And when the conflict happened in 2006 between Hezbollah and Israel, I just wanted to support them. In fact, I, the, the, the day Harari was assassinated, I made arrangements to go to Lebanon as fast as I could, and I was there within four days. Hmm. It didn't do anything, by the way. I just went there, and I met with pastors and just prayed with them. Your presence. And to important. this day, it was the biggest life changer for me and for the them. Um, 
And now as a couple of people say, every time you come, Tom, so you still have an American passport? When are you getting a Lebanese passport? <laughs> you come so many times. Um, it's not a place I would have picked. It's easy. It's not what the news paints it out to be. Now, there's some places of Beirut and Lebanon you don't want to go to at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But I'm sure in Chicago here, Wayne, you yeah, have places you're true. not going to go that's to at true. 1 o'clock in yeah, the morning. Sure. So you have to be wise about it. Uh, but I go for my three-mile walk every day by myself in Beirut, uh, travel around um, and do all that. So it's very safe. But I've never seen a time – and this is as honest as I can be – where the where the Muslim community and the communities around that part of the world are more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ than today. How do you account for that? I, I account for it because I think God God has answered our prayers as, 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 the, as Christians in the West particularly – my, I grew up in a Christian family, a Wyckoff Baptist Church with Larry McGill and George mm-hmm. Sweeting, as mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. I, I've been a Christian since age four, saved at Word of Life Ranch. And most of my life, my Christian life, I've been praying for God to open up the 1040 window. Not only has he opened it up today, he's given us the largest people group in that 1040 window at our doorstep. Hmm. You could never witness, as we witness today in Lebanon, inside Syria or Iraq or even Jordan. Just is impossible. Just impossible. And now they're knocking at our doors and saying, "Can you?" Especially when you build trust with them. Yeah. How do How do you go about building trust? Well, you build trust by our supplement food program, humanitarian aid things, as well as building education for their students. You and show being, them you care. Yeah. Show them, Show them we care before they know you. You You know you have that caring conversation with them, and it builds that trust, and that trust will lead to a conversation which we call relational relief, and that relational relief will turn into transformational relief, um, which is the love of Jesus Christ impacted in their life. The transformation is what we need to understand is transformation is not an event. It's a process. We're all in it. When that process ends is the day we die. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it from that different viewpoint, this is what draws me into the country. Some organizations struggle with humanitarian uh, care and meeting those humanitarian needs versus the gospel, and they tend to drift one way or the other. You seem to have found a way to combine the two. Yeah, I guess it's from the course of knowledge, seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then reading the scripture from my own experience saying that's not what God had in mind because every time I see Jesus, he's taking care of their human need and he's giving them the gospel. He never separates the two. So how dare we separate the two? It's very easy to do, relatively easy to do humanitarian aid, a little harder to do the religious piece. Mm -hmm. But if you can combine the two as we do, use the humanitarian aid in the right way to build that transaction, to show them that you care so they know that you care. That builds trust, especially with Muslims. Now, that doesn't mean that on day one we do not. In fact, we do tell them very specifically that we are faith-based, that we're born-again Christians. We're here representing you don't hide Jesus any of that, Christ. Right. What I have found, what we know to be a fact is the Muslim community, when they know that you believe something and you're willing to stand up for it, they, they, that. Yeah. They, they love it. Yeah. And they have more respect for you. It's when you try to sneak something in or try to bend it or we'll mention that later or we'll hide it in the food basket. None of that stuff. Just be straightforward. And what I found and I've done it here even in the States to non-Muslims, is they'll come back to you and come back to me and they'll say, Tom, I don't agree with you about this Jesus thing, but I like the way it operates. Mm. 
I know from talking with Camille that there are millions of refugees flooding into Lebanon, and it's overwhelming the country, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And yet you've built these hope centers where you use them for education, for encouragement, for gospel outreach. What is your hope and dream for the Hope Centers in the years hope to come? And, my hope and dream is, and we spell it H-O-P-E, capital letters, because it's overcoming poverty through education. Oh, okay. And what we're doing is we're, we're training up the next generation of national missionaries to reach their people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This window of opportunity will not stay open long. I'm, I've read the book of Revelation. I know what's coming. How it comes, I have, don't have a clue. But I know what's coming. So this window of opportunity, this open door to reach Muslims with Jesus Christ, to disciple them, won't last forever. And I think the day will come when Americans will not be as privileged as we are today mm-hmm. and be able to travel the world. I think radio and other tools will help us get to the rest of the world, but we won't be able to travel. So why not train young people today when you can change their mind, mold their mind to be the mission force of the future? It's much easier, Wayne, and I know this with our children and my grandchildren, to change the mind of a child than it is to transform a mind of an adult. Right. And so we have all these now 300 kids. As soon as we get the Hope, New Hope Ministry Center built in the Baca, another 250 children changing their mind. See, if you want to change the behavior, you've got to change their thinking. And to change their thinking, you've got to change what they're thinking about. So it all goes back to the biblical characteristics of biblical education yep. and leading them to Jesus Christ. What's your greatest prayer need for Heart for Lebanon? For safety and wisdom. Two things go hand in hand. Wisdom because the opportunity is enormous. And I'll put that in all capital letters and underline it. So how do you pick the right people? Right now in our children, our hope centers, we're focusing on those that have lost moms and dads. In our culture, we'd call them orphans. Hmm. But we also need protection because we're going into the Muslim radical areas Mm -hmm. that aren't being served by any other group. Yeah. And helping them people with their food needs. And you're competing with ISIS for the attention of these children, aren't you? uh, Exactly. And I've been there witnessing kids marching hate against Americans. And when we ask the kids what's making you do this, they're being paid $25 a day by ISIS and other radical groups to march against America. So I I tell people all the time, and I don't mean anything this over-exaggerated, but you will pay for these children one way or another. Mm -hmm. You'll either pay to bring them to Jesus Christ— and have their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you're going to pay to, to help them get out of the Islamic world and the radical world or, 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 or be part of that whole thing, you're going to pay for this one way or another. For me, I'd rather have my money go into helping them find Jesus Christ because it's a long term. It's the only solution we know about. Tom, God bless you for what you're doing. Thank you, Wayne. Greatly appreciate it. And you can learn more about the ministry of Heart for Lebanon and how they are coming alongside the many refugees pouring over the border. We'll place links with additional information at firstpersoninterview.com. My thanks to Tom Adama for the conversation here today. Thanks for listening to First Person. We're here each week featuring the stories of followers of Christ who've been called to a unique place of service and are making a spiritual difference as they live for the Lord. Our archive of interviews grows each week, and you're invited to explore our past programs either at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the download feature on our smartphone app. These conversations are made possible through the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, who love for you to hear how God works in the lives of people for His glory. 
Learn more about FEBC when you visit FirstPersonInterview.com. And also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Be sure to join us next week for First Person.